Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Today's guest is Kath Wallace. Kath is a big person, I think is the way she describes herself, and she took to ultra-endurance events in her 40s when she realized that she had kind of lost a little bit of herself into her work and her children, both things which had become very important in her life, but had left her suddenly thinking, oh, what do I do for myself? And She entered a really crazy 100-kilometer race with no previous experience, and basically the rest is history. She's done the most extraordinary endurance foot races and uh, a swim as well, and she is really on a massive mission to help other people understand that you don't have to look like Killian Jornet or somebody that society tells us is an endurance trail running athlete. You can do it regardless. You can do it in the only body you will ever have to stop putting it off and do whatever lights your fire and makes you feel alive. She is brilliant fun, full of great chat and her challenge Katie is really fun. I'm very much looking forward to taking part in that. I forgot to ask Kath what her next steps were And she told me afterwards, she's off to South Australia, where she is swimming with cuttlefish as they mass near the coast to breed, which is apparently an absolutely fascinating sight to see, and heading off to do some shark diving or cage diving with sharks to see how that feels. Uh, Just so we're clear, Kath is Australian, living in Australia, and uh, currently tied there because of COVID regulations. But anyway, she is brilliant and this is a great chat. Enjoy. Hi, Kath. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's fantastic to be here. Well, thank you again. I'm, I know you are just fresh out the desert, out of uh, an ultramarathon, which was a massive project, uh, a massive undertaking um, with not possibly your most favorite result. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that before we go into your story in general? Tell me all about it. Yes, yeah, so I've just got back from a place called Birdsville, which is in the uh, the desert in Australia. Uh, it's about as far away from anywhere as you could possibly go. It's about 2,000 kilometres inland from the coast in just about every direction. Uh, and I went out there with a team of 19 women um, who had decided to challenge themselves by taking on, in most cases, their first ever trail event. Um, and for many of them doing that as a trail ultra. Uh, so we went out there with people doing a range of distances, uh, 25 kilometres, 50, 75 and 100. Um, and I had entered the 100 kilometres um, and uh, had quite high hopes of, of completing the event. That was, that was certainly the plan. Um, and I got out there and I had a fantastic time for the first the first 50 kilometres of the event, uh, really challenging on, on sand dunes, uh, really soft sand and, and loose stones. 
uh, and then unfortunately took a bit of a tumble into a into a hole into a hole, fell about a foot uh, in the dark at about two o'clock in the morning, um, and mm. jarred my back. And uh, I, I was pretty optimistic. I tried the old walk it out and see how it goes. <laughs> uh, but when I got to the next checkpoint, I realised that it really wasn't getting any better. And and sometimes you really just need to make the call that. Um, you know, as much as you want to finish a particular challenge, you need to preserve your body for the next thing that you want to do. And so, uh, so I withdrew at, at that point. Um, but it wasn't all bad because uh, having withdrawn, it meant that I was able to be on the finish line for um, the other 17 women in my team um, and was able to provide them support and cheer them on. And, and I would never have got to do that if I'd finished the event. So, um, you know, it's, sometimes things don't work out, but you get, you get other things out of it instead. Indeed. And how is your back? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's um, <laughs> it's pretty sore. So it was only only uh, sort of six or seven days ago, but we'll just ease back into it slowly and we'll get there. Good. Now, I when I read about it on Instagram, because obviously I've been following you and, and the adventures and the lead up, and I saw, you know, to begin with, they were very sort of um, pragmatic and well, you know, and as you just said, you got to bring in all the, 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 the rest of your team but then there's a slight note of irritation crept into your most recent post about, I do not like to not finish or I don't like to fail. How's that sitting with you right now? Oh, look, there's always that that combination of feelings. And I think <laughs> in this particular event, um, it, it wasn't just about not achieving for me personally, but the fact that I'd taken this team of women and that I'd encouraged mm. them to get out there and really be brave and bold and try something that they hadn't done. And that there's this sort of sense of, um, you know, if, if I don't achieve, um, you know, what kind of a role model am I for them? Um, and it's really it's really silly, I think, how we do that to ourselves as people mm. and, and put those kind of judgments on that in actual fact, I'm pretty confident none of those 17 women were actually thinking that at all. It was all me. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes... Uh, you know, what, what you learn out on these challenging endurance events, I think, is about how to deal with your own ego. And I think that's really what it was for me. It, you know, it was the ego of, of wanting to be the champion leader of the team mm. that completed their event. Um, and sometimes you've just got to realise that, that that's not how it works and um, that's not how it happens and um, mm. learn and grow from that. Yes, because, uh, you know, as you were saying, I bet you none of them were thinking that because you would never have thought that about someone else had that happened to them no of course not I mean that's the, the <laughs> stupidity of this isn't it and how is the pressure that we put upon ourselves to fulfill a certain model of what is success um, mm. and I've been you know doing a, a lot of work and thinking about what is success and what is failure over the last couple of years that I've been doing endurance events um, but I, I had deliberately put that into my uh, into my Instagram post because I want to be really mm. honest about the fact that yeah. even even when I have been, you know, working so hard uh, to change my mindset about what is success and what is failure, those thoughts still creep in my head. Um, mm. They still creep probably into everybody's head. And I think it's important to be, to be honest about that. And what do you think, how long do you think that takes in the research that you've done? Do you think that it changes over time with a bit of perspective? Um, so certainly in, in relation to looking back um, at an event, uh, certainly perspective changes once you once you have a chance to think about it a bit more. Um, in terms of um, you know my ability to not instinctively think that way in the in the moment, um, I think that still happens and that's sort of a longer mm. a longer period of process. But but by the time I got 
I mean, so when I was um, shuffling at a ridiculously slow sort of <laughs> three kilometres an hour uh, between when I hurt my back and when I got to the next checkpoint, that's mm. the period when I was feeling really frustrated and annoyed. Mm. But by the time I'd got back and the medic had checked me out and I, I was pretty clear that I couldn't go back out there for the next stage, mm. I was already starting to, to think about, you know, what really is important here. Um, yeah. and, and how I could enjoy this experience rather than um, you know, ruminating about, you know, <laughs> yeah. what did and didn't work, how I could actually say, well, actually just stop. You're in this magnificent place, in this magnificent mm. desert. Um, how can I actually refocus and think about this? Um, and within a very short period of time, I, could, I can do that now, um, but that has taken, has taken some time for me. And what do you think has uh, contributed to that shift in mindset? I mean, presumably you've actually put some work into it, but there must be accumulated experiences that have helped with that as well. Yes, and I think um, as silly as it might sound that the more you fail, the better you get at it, uh, which <laughs> sounds a bit silly. But I think um, I think growing up, uh, you know, my life I think until I started taking on these kind of endurance activities – I was very selective. I, I limited myself to things that I knew I could do well. Mm. And if I didn't think I could do well at it, I didn't even try. Mm. Um, and what's really changed, I think, in the last couple of years is I've started thinking, well, you know, how much am I missing out on through fear that I might not succeed or that I might look silly doing it or that someone might comment on how I look while I'm doing it? Mm. Um how much am I missing out on and am I prepared to um, live the life that I have missing out on those things because of mm. those fears or am I going to try something different? And when I tried something different, I found that I really enjoyed it and no matter how hard the, you know, in inverted commas failures are in the sense of not completing a particular event, mm. um, it certainly doesn't detract from the amazing experiences that I would never have had if I hadn't gone there in the first place. Mm. Well, it seems like a good point to uh, go back a little while, rewind, because of the things you've just said about how you used to be, what triggered you to start doing these incredible adventures. Um, and it was round about when you were about 40, Was am I correct? And someone asked you what your interests were. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I had um, I just got a promotion at work and I had to do up a um, like an information sheet for their website on who I was and, uh, and what were my interests. And I realised that over the period of time of being incredibly career focused, that I didn't have any hobbies or interests. I was purely focused on two things, both of which were completely worthwhile, which was, you know, my career and my career goals um, and my children mm -hmm. and uh, making sure that my children got the things that they that they needed and that they wanted and, and my time. Um, but I had carved out nothing that was outside of those two things. Um, and I suddenly realised that, you know, that was a bit sad um, and mm. I didn't really want to be that anymore. And was it the fact that there were no interests and that that you realised that might, how that might look, if you pardon my mm -hmm. sort of surmising, or was there that plus a combination of, oh my word, th there's no, where's me in all of this? Yeah, definitely the latter. So I, I felt as though I didn't have an identity, um, that mm. I was just uh, what – the society that I had grown up in here in, in Australia, um, 
expected of me as the modern woman, which is that mm. we would I would be the woman who had it all. You know, I would have mm-hmm. the career um, and I would have the family, and that was considered to be having it all, and that was that was success. Mm. Um, and I don't think I'd ever stopped to think about what actually was important to me in all of that, and mm. whether it was in fact um, those things. Um, or whether it was a combination of different things. And that's the thing, that's what I've really been focusing on uh, and thinking about over the last few years. It's extraordinary because I'm a mum, I'm 48. And part of the reason I started this podcast is because of that. And, and regular listeners will be like, oh, here she goes again. But <laughs> it's true. And so many women I speak to, especially mums, you know, it may not be career and kids, it could be kids and, and so, you know, but it's whatever it might be. So many of them have just gone, well, hold on a minute. Like, where's the time? What What is it that I really like? You know, nobody's ever stopped to th- I don't think you can blame anybody, but it's just, as you say, it was what we were expected to do almost. Yeah, that's right. I think we just go along the path of uh, what was instilled in us um, as as what we were supposed to do. Um, and I don't regret mm. any of those things that I did, mm. but I just think that there was that, there was that something that was missing. Um, and I think for me, it was the, the combination of two things that were really stopping me to follow my passion. And I, you know, I worked out that my passion was about... Um, exploring the outdoors and wide natural spaces that's that's really my passion and there were two things mm. stopping me from that one is this this um, myth of the woman that has it all that led me to following down this path that didn't didn't touch the wide outdoors um, and the mm. other thing was my weight and the fact that mm-hmm. really in our society we build a perception that fitness activities and the outdoors is for athletic looking people Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never saw myself as somebody who could do those things because that wasn't how I looked. Yeah. Uh, and the combination of those two things was kind of pushing me away from really following my passion and being what I wanted to be. And how did you bust out of those? Oh, I think, um, uh, to be honest, that I just sort of fell into it <laughs> um, by just signing up for something a bit crazy and probably a bit stupid at the time. Um, <laughs> I, I literally thought, um, well, what would I really like to do? Um, what I could probably do uh, is I can walk. Everybody can walk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that you can do. Uh, and I was looking on the internet one day and I saw this 100-kilometre trail event that went around my city and it mm-hmm. had a generous cutoff time. It was 29 hours. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, if it takes about, you know, an hour to walk five kilometres, that's, you know, 20 hours for 20 kilometres. Mm-hmm. Surely I can do it in 29 with some breaks. Um, and I paid my money and signed up. <laughs> um, and I had uh, three and a half months between wow. the time that I'd signed up and the date of this event. Um, and I really... You know, I think there's something that is, you know, in hindsight, so wonderful Mm. about being completely ignorant because I had no idea what a 100-kilometre event was was actually about. But I just went about, you know, the same way that I've always adopted, you know, looking after my children or my career or anything else, which is I made a plan. I I worked backwards and went, well, if I need to be able to do 100 kilometres in three and a half months' time, Mm. then I need to build up slowly. And I made myself a training plan. I never spoke to anybody else about it. Um, And I happily 
uh, walked on the weekends and walked in the mornings and went off and, and did this event. Amazing. And, uh, and I know that you finished with, I think, eight minutes before the cutoff. Is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, the um, actual me. event itself was such a huge shock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us, tell me. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was unusually hot. It was thirty eight degrees uh, on the day of the actual event, and uh, we all set off at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and it got hotter and hotter over the day. And in my training, even though I had made this plan, I never got beyond 30 kilometres mm. uh, in any of my training. Uh, and so I, I was kind of okay until we got to the 30. And that last uh, 70 kilometres was, was pretty rough. Um, there were a couple of moments. I had, a, I had a moment when I got to the 50 kilometre checkpoint where, and I remember because it was midnight, and I just cried and I just said, mm. you know, I don't know if I can do this. And the race director was there and she went, well, you've got enough time. You know, what have you got to lose? Just keep going to the next checkpoint and, and see how you feel. Ah. Uh, and I think by just getting up and, and keeping going, by the time I got to those later checkpoints, um, that's when my sort of stubborn streak uh, had kicked in. <laughs> and really the thinking was, well, you know, I've come this far. I'm not going to I'm not gonna not finish now. Yeah. Um, and I distinctly remember hitting the one kilometre to go marker and my son had come out to, to join me um, and I was crying and saying, I'm not going to make it. There's no way I can make it. And he's very pragmatic, my son. I think at the time he was about 15 and he just turns to me and says, well, mum, if you don't stop crying and start walking, you won't make it. <laughs> just just get on and do it. <laughs> Good man. Um, and headed off and, yes, I made it in uh, 28 hours and 52 minutes and said I would never do anything that stupid ever again. <laughs> and how long did it take you to sign up for the next thing? Oh, it was it was less than a few months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it would have only been a couple of weeks before I was back on the internet looking for the next thing. It is a crazy thing, isn't it? Because I have a reasonably similar story going to do the first uh, half marathon de Sable in Fuerteventura in 2017. And I had signed my husband up for, or I'd said to him to do it. And I was just like, oh, that looks like a really good adventure. And a bit like you, I was like, well, I don't run and I'm not very, you know, that's not my thing. And I was like, I could just walk it. And it's got massive cutoffs. And man, what a massive adventure that would be. And so a bit like you, I had, I think, five months and I just went and did it. So I totally get that. And again, I've <laughs> finished the long stage going, that's it. I'm done. I'm finished. Never again. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. And how did you feel? How did you feel after? I know you, you, you said you'd never do it again, but did you, was there something that had fundamentally changed already or did that take a little while? No, I think something had fundamentally changed just in that one experience. I, mm. I think it was the, I, I really, except for the parts where obviously everything hurt in, yeah. the, in the later stages of the events, I loved being out in the open. Mm. I loved the sense of um, adventure. I loved the chats that I had with people <sighs> that I came across on the course as I went around. So um, and I loved the fact that I had defied the expectations I had of, of myself, yeah. that I'd never seen myself as someone who would do a 100-kilometre event. And you know what? I had. Yeah. I had done that. And if I could do that, then what else could I do? Um, and it really opened my eyes to the possibilities um, that are out there to take on and, and achieve enormous challenges if you have the drive and determination and are prepared to put in the training to do them. 
I, I couldn't agree more. I, I wondered if you felt a little bit like me. I just thought it was, it made me quite emotional as to how extraordinary my body was, given that that was not something that I was ever expected to be able to do, or I was born with two dislocated hips. That's why I sort of say that. And uh, I just, I wonder if it gave you that feeling of, oh my God, I, I, how did it take me so long to realize that my body is this amazing? Oh, absolutely. Because there was nothing I had done in my life up until that point that was really about my body. Mm. Um, I had always chosen things that were about the intellectual things, yeah. the intellectual side, uh, about what my mind could do. Um, and as an overweight person, my thought was that my body was, you know, uh, something between worthless and embarrassing. It, mm. it wasn't something that was carrying me to do amazing things. Yeah. Um, and this proved that it could be. Um, and I suppose, you know, that is that is where I've sort of come to now and where mm. I've landed is is I've now been on this journey of exploring the things that my body can do when perhaps if you just looked at a picture of me, you would think that I could not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wanting to share that with other people who might be in that place that I was uh, back five or six years ago mm. to be able to say, well, you know what? It's not true, those things that you're telling yourself about your body and that other people might be telling mm. you about your body, um, that you can just take your imperfect body, yeah. uh, whatever in whatever means that is imperfect, to yeah. large, small, skinny, weak, whatever, old, yeah. um, and you can do what you want to do. How? What was the reaction to – because, you know, when you Google you, there is – it's it's newspaper articles it's you know sort of uh, unlikely and plucky and you know plus size mum so that's always sort of based uh, it's like what it's you know what was the reaction what are the reactions still do you, is it always I know you talk about the community the the ultra running or the trail running community as being super supportive but I'm just kind of interested to know about has the it's a very long question sorry has the opinions of what you do change since you first started doing this have they so I think not really Uh, I think uh you know as you described when I when I'm in trail running when I attend trail events I find everybody really supportive and I think that's because trail running as a community is very based on personal goals and personal achievements and people are expecting everybody who's there to have a different uh, Mm. a different goal uh, and to be heading for something different. But it's absolutely the case that in society more broadly, you know, and every time, you know, somebody from the media or wants to talk to me, they want to focus on the fact that because I'm a large person, I shouldn't be able to do it. And yeah. isn't it amazing that I can? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm happy to work with that because I think that um, it, it's an important story to tell and it's mm. an important Uh, image to get out there that you can do amazing things in the body that you have. Uh, But we're certainly a long way away from that being the expectation. I mean, Mm. it's certainly the case. I can be in my hometown walking up a local um, hill or mountain that I walk up all the time Mm. and people going down the other way will stop and say, oh, good on you. You'll get there. Just keep trying. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I do this every day. Um, But they just assume that because I'm a big person that I must never do this or Mm. it's new to me. Um, And when I'm out running, 
people assume that I must be running because I'm trying to lose weight. Yeah. I mean, they're probably the major the major assumptions that I yeah. get. Um, but I mean, there's no in my in my view, there's no point um, being rude to people who are who are making those assumptions mm. because they're only making the same assumptions that society is placing on everybody and yeah. all of us every day. They're only a product of the way advertising and diet culture and those things work. Mm. Um, so I, I prefer to take the approach of, of educating in terms of showing people what I can do and yeah. getting more of us out there so that seeing somebody who's a larger person doing these kind of events is not unusual. It's actually just as normal as seeing somebody else. So there's two points to that I wanted to pick up on. One is uh, I want to very much talk about the rest of your team for the Simpson Desert uh, Ultra. Is that what it was called? Am I yes, right? yes. That's I definitely right. want to talk about them. But very quickly, I want to ask you, have you been made an ambassador for an ultra race? Yes, I, I've actually been made an ambassador twice. Wow. Um, so I so was cool. asked to be the ambassador of the Simpson Desert Ultra mm. uh, about 18 months ago um, because the event was supposed to be held last year and, and because of COVID got moved to this mm. year. Uh, but I was blown away by the concept that someone would ask um, an overweight back of pack uh, participant <laughs> to be the ambassador for the event. Um, but I think I... Um, you know, I didn't have enough of an understanding about um, how people's how people's minds work, and the fact that I was, you know, essentially putting those societal stereotypes that I that I fight against. You know, I was the one portraying them by being so shocked at being asked. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, the irony, the irony of it. Um, and so I was extremely pleased to be an ambassador for their event mm. and to. Um, and to put forward the notion that this was a trail event that welcomed all people to come and be courageous and brave and experience a beautiful desert um, and have an amazing time. So I was very, very honoured to be the ambassador for the Simpson Desert Ultra. I've been fortunate enough to also be asked to be an ambassador for an event in New Zealand that's in 2022. Um, it's the more typical event that, I, uh, that I've participated in, which is the multi-day ultra format mm -hmm. where you do uh, roughly a marathon a day uh, with a long stage um, over a week. Um, and uh, they have asked me to be an ambassador for their event um, as well and for largely the same reasons that they they want their event to be a welcoming event that absolutely is open to um, elite people to participate in but they want it to be an opportunity for people to come and see the beauty of the southern island of of New Zealand mm. um, and I'm very pleased to to support and promote that. It is extraordinary and I you, you I when I did that the first half marathon the Saab I am most definitely, I, you know, so many of the things you've said have struck a chord with me. The back of the pack, the chatting, the sort of the camaraderie that comes with being at that part of the race, which my husband, who's like super fast amateur athlete, doesn't get, goes out, runs as fast as he can, gets to the other end, job done. And he and I tell very different stories from the same event. And as I say, what I loved about that particular event and, and the ones like it is that you look at them and you think, yeah, if I just kind of gritted my teeth, I could just, I could just walk that, and that's the the, mo the most be the beautiful thing about it. So I love the fact that they are inviting 
normal people. I mean, you're not normal now because you've proved that you're, you know, done a lot of crazy stuff. But I love that, that it's, you know, you are not the sort of the stereotype. You don't look like a Morabiti, you know. Uh, (laughs) I I definitely do not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who does, to be fair? (laughs) Um, So tell me, please, now that I've waffled on a bit, about your fabulous team, because it's not just uh, plus size. It's people who just basically have never considered themselves to be in th- that sort of person. In Absolutely. Absolutely. So putting this team together was um, the most rewarding thing that I've done so far in this uh, in this adventure uh, sort of an area. I put a call out uh, on social media uh, about 12 months ago to uh, get a team together to come with me to this event. I thought if I was going to be the ambassador for the event, I'd like to uh, not just show by talking about it, but actually take mm. with me a group of people uh, to do this event. And there was two criteria for joining my team. People had to mm-hmm. write in and, and apply to join. And the first one was that it had to absolutely scare you to death. You had mm. to be terrified of what you were jumping into uh, to go and do this. And the second one was that I needed people to demonstrate a commitment to training because mm. you, you can't just go out and do these events. No. Um, you do have to to be committed to getting fit and strong uh, to to do the actual event. Uh, and nothing nothing crazy, but but a, a program that people were doing that was about five days a week for over a, a six month period. Mm. So I put together these these wonderful people, and um, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't designed to be just ladies, but it, it happened to be um, all all female team, mm-hmm. um, and we had a really wide range of people. So uh, we had a, a member who um, was doing a trial a trail event uh, with diabetes, with insulin dependent diabetes. Wow. Um, we had a low vision athlete who's got mm-hmm. um, cone rod dystrophy um, and is slowly therefore uh, going blind, um, and mm-hmm. she. Uh, had to wear special glasses and has a lot of issues with depth, depth perce- perception. Pardon me. Mm-hmm. While um, while doing this event, um, we had people who were older, um, who had never done uh, any kinds of physical activities and things before, and some of them were were starting from couch and they were doing couch to twenty five k to come and wow. do this event. Um, people who devoted their whole life to raising their children. Um, and now their children had left home and they were struggling to find their identity as a person without the role of being a mum. Mm. Um, and several people who uh, were, are people who have been struggling with severe depression or other mental health conditions Amazing. and for whom coming and doing this event, this adventure was proving to themselves that they were not just their medical condition, that that was not what defines them as a person um, and that they are much, much stronger and braver um, than they perhaps thought they were. And one of my lovely um, ladies, Kylie, who has really struggled with mental health her entire life, was a 100-kilometre finisher at the event on the weekend. And seeing her finish that event uh, after telling us that she's always had a lack of belief in herself because of her mental health um, was one of the most rewarding experiences I've had in my life. It was fantastic. Oh, that sounds amazing. That's given me goosebumps. <laughs> oh, how extraordinary. And so you, as you say, because of the, the fall that you took, you were able to be there and support them. And how how was it seeing them in the dark places? Because they must have been coming, because it was loops, wasn't it? Were you able yes. to see them throughout? 
Yes. So it was loops. Um, each loop was different. So you didn't repeat any part of the course, but you mm. kept coming into a central hub for the for the mm. checkpoint. Um, so it was sort of like a flower with the petals going mm. around the outside is the best way to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we certainly had uh, a couple of a couple of times um, where I had to actually, you know, stand face to face with one of these wonderful ladies while they were crying and telling me that they couldn't do it um, mm-hmm. and basically put my hands on both of their shoulders and look them in the eye and say, yes, you can. And what you're going to do is we're going to fill up your water and we're going to repack your bag and you're going to go back out there and you're going to finish this event um, and to have to actually be quite stern um, mm. and then they just follow um, and then go on, go on, and um, and absolutely smash it in in the event. Um, but it's uh, I think supporting people in these kind of events um, is the combination of of knowing when to sort of be firm and remind them mm. of what it is they're there for, and that they can actually do it. And when what they actually just need is a big hug and to be told that yeah. it's, it's actually okay. And you know what? They've done the best that they possibly can. Mm. Um, and they've either finished or, or they haven't, um, and that's okay too because the point of these events is about the experience rather mm. than the result, um, and every single one of them proved to themselves how tough they were, um, even the ones that didn't finish the distance that they'd hoped to finish, um, and mm. every single one of them completed at least 25 kilometres, um, at least the, at least 25, uh, which was much further than any of them had ever gone before they got to, to this event. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been sort of six days now and uh, the chatter in the group is already, mm. what, what, what could we do next? Where will we go? <laughs> <laughs> When's the reunion? Really? <laughs> uh. um, and making such good friends out of the group, which is also a really important experience. It is important. So what, have they, what are some of the things they've said about themselves that they learned? Well, I think it's about having um, self-belief. You know, I mm. think that for quite a few of them, they thought that maybe they could do something like this, but they were never going to have stepped out and signed on the dotted line and gone mm. and started without the support of having the group to be there. Yeah. Um, and I think that having that group of people so that they didn't doubt themselves or if they did doubt themselves there was someone to say no no come on we can do it um Mm. and the way the group worked is they met virtually in a like a virtual uh facebook group because we didn't actually meet as a group until we arrived on our first day um in the town for the event we'd only spoken on zoom and 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 through the the social media um but they were following their plan and every weekend they posted um you know, photos of their training um, and encouraged each other. Um, and when I say photos of their training, just to give you an idea of how how um, I operate, I'm not really interested in people's statistics. So mm. I'm not interested in the post, in your Garmin post of how fast yeah. you were per kilometre. I'm interested in you getting out and, and doing the time, uh, the time yeah. on your feet and the experience. So the standard post for our weekend is to show me the the view from your run or the view from your walk. Uh, and what I want to see is what what did you see outdoors because yes. you went and did that activity on the weekend um, because that's what's important. Um, it's not really the statistics. It's, it's the experience. And where did your passion from the outdoors come from? Is that from childhood? Is that – where did that come from? Because you you know you say you're sort of very career focused, which sort of strikes me as, you know, you've been in an office quite a lot of your adult life. 
Absolutely, I have been. But I've always, um, as a child, I it's probably going to sound a bit silly, I was one of those people that used to pick up the travel brochures from outside the travel mm. agent and flick through them and dream and plan of, you know, when I grew up, where were the places mm. that I was going to go. Um, and I was always attracted to the big, wild, natural places, N- not so much the cities. Um, mm. it, it's always been those big expanses and whether that be deserts or forests or, um, you know, uh, big bore- big boreal forests and lakes like when I was lucky enough to be in, in Mongolia a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, you know, those places are the ones that sort of ignite the, the passion and the adventure in me um, and it was just that that I needed to, to reignite. And what do you get from those big wild spaces? Because just, I'm just finishing Annabelle Abbs book uh, she was a guest a couple of weeks ago and her book is called Windswept it's about women walking and what they get from it I can hu- highly recommend it and she talks she talks about Simone de Beauvoir George O'Keefe lots of really famous women who walked for various reasons often for a reset or a recharge or whatever but especially I'm just finishing George O'Keefe and she she loved the big wide open nothing spaces and um, what what do you get from that what does it do to you um, it's so many things. Um, it's it's a really grounding place I find in a wide mm. open space. It's you know it, back to that ego thing that I mentioned uh, earlier. Mm. Is that I think in my in my life, you know, in my daily life, I get caught up in me and and what I'm doing. But when I'm in a big wide open space, it, it's like I get a perspective mm. where me and my tiny thoughts and problems are really not that important because I'm only one tiny piece of a massive ecosystem that I found myself in. So mm. I think it's um, it's grounding and it's peaceful. Um, and I also um, I also suffer from anxiety disorder. So mm. I find the big wide open spaces to be very calming and an mm. opportunity to stop the incessant chatter and rumination mm. in my mind um, and to focus. Um, and I also find that it's the place where I do my best planning. It's where I have my my big ideas of mm. what I'd like to do and, and where I'd like to go. It's where I solve problems. Um, mm. it, it's, it's the place where I can clear my mind and then think more clearly um, as a result. Is this sort of a slight untethering of everything that just kind of almost makes things clearer? It is, it is. And people often say to me, you know, if you go and do one of these events and, uh, you know, if I do a 42-kilometre marathon stage out in a desert or a frozen lake or a forest or something, I mean, I'm out there for eight and a half hours, nine Mm. hours if it's a rough uh, sort of a course, and people say, you know, do you take music or listen to podcasts or, Mm. you know, what do you do when you're out there? Uh, And the answer is I I don't do any of that. I'm Mm. I'm absorbing the place that I'm in. Mm. And uh, and clearing my mind, and uh, for me, that's it, it's just something that really works for me, uh, and has become a really po- important part of self care. It is important part, and it's so difficult to achieve these days. I think it was slightly more. I think a lot of people found it a lot more during lockdown because everything went quite quiet. Certainly where where I am, and I hardly live in a busy part of the world. But uh, it is such an important part. And what do you think? Do you think, or do you know how much of that was imparted or became clear to your teammates and your team? Did they learn about that as well? 
that sort of being in the wide open spaces? Yeah. So we, we haven't had a chance really to debrief yet mm. um, about their ex- their experiences in terms of their thinking and their mind. I'm starting to see them now because uh, I think in the first few days there's the the elation of completion yeah. and the the joy of spending time with new friends um, and then, uh, you know, cataloguing your various uh, blisters and sore toes. Um, <laughs> but I think... Uh, so I think it's after that that you then move into mm. the stage of thinking about what you what you thought about and and mm. did, um, and certainly I spent uh, the second twenty five kilometres uh, of my event uh, with another team member, and she and I walked together for twenty five kilometres, mm. um, and and I think we had a shared experience of what it's like to be uh, wandering in the desert in the dark with just the stars, mm. um, and how beautiful that is, and. Beautiful, but also, um, you know, slightly scary. I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a range of emotions when you, you walk in the dark. And I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure in, in other countries, but certainly certainly in mine, as women, we're not taught to wander around in the dark. No. Um, we're, we're taught very early on that that's an unsafe thing to do. Uh, and so when you do do it, you have to unpack all of those, those fears um, mm. to sort of say to yourself, well, actually – that's in, in certain circumstances or maybe always, um, that's not not actually true and you can actually enjoy the dark and the stars um, and the desert. So such a range of experiences. Oh, you most certainly can. Oh, you have to read this book, Windswept, because there's so much of this covered in that and about the fears that we have as women and facing them and actually um, almost in a way she sort of learns to use them as a force for good because she goes out and walks in the dark. And her challenge, Katie, was for me to go hiking at nighttime by myself. Oh, fantastic. If I felt safe, which I did. And I just loved it. I mean, I'm gonna, I am gonna. will have to check it out because cause I, had, um, I, had a, I had a question from somebody once uh, on, my, on my social media and they said, you know, aren't you scared of, of walking in the dark? Isn't it dangerous? Um, and I, I did some research, and obviously this is Australian-based research, but in terms mm. of crime statistics, um, being outside in uh, nature mm. is actually the second safest place in terms of crime statistics of anywhere that you could be. Mm. And, and the first safest is actually public transport because oh. it's all got cameras and, and yeah. things. So public transport is the safest place to be. <laughs> and following that, national parks and wild spaces is actually the sa- second wow. safest place that you could possibly be. Yeah. And she talks very much about the difference between walking through a dark forest at night and being out in the desert at night with the wide open spaces where you could see anyone coming for miles or, or you could, you know, and uh, it's, uh, it is so true. I remember coming through the desert in the long stage of the half marathon de Sable and I was with people, but there's a lot of quiet I never thought of it as being a quiet place to be in the, in a race pack sometimes, but everybody's kind of by that stage in their own thoughts. And there's a little bit of, you just hear the of the sand and the, and it's a very, yeah, it's not something you can really explain to people very well. No, it is, it is difficult. Um, but it's something that if you haven't tried, I would absolutely 100% recommend because it is such a different experience um, mm. and, and it is something that is so unique. Um, and I and I don't think I've ever met anybody who has said that it was an experience that they didn't enjoy, that it wasn't no. something that was special. 
Uh, and I think that other the, than the, the blisters, just, <laughs> other than the blisters, <laughs> you know, and there was a very deliberate decision by the race director in Simpson Desert Ultra to mm. arrange the event so that everybody had a period of time that they were in the dark. Oh, um, good, yeah, that they had that opportunity to experience the desert at night time with the stars mm. um, and the sounds, oh, um, be because so many people were coming to the event from cities. Uh, and it's mm. an important part of the overall experience of being in, in such a wide open space. And so you are building up a community and uh, a movement, if you like, of encouraging people to live in the body that they have. Yes. How is that manifesting itself? What's How's that going? What's What's the plan? Yeah, so a couple of different things. I mean, so uh, up until now, it had been mainly focused on a social media presence through um, mainly Instagram and and some Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and then moving to the creation of these teams. Um, and we've obviously just had the team at the Simpson Desert, and I'm I'm taking another team to the Southern Lakes Ultra in New Zealand in February, and that team's just formed recently, mm-hmm. um, and people are starting starting to train. Um, I've also been fortunate. Um, to have received um, some funding to make a short documentary Mm. um, about the story of the journey of these 18 women travelling to Simpson Desert Ultra um, and how they experienced it and what it meant to them. Um, And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that comes together. We've obviously shot it, but we haven't um, edited it Mm. yet. Um, But putting it together in order to show that people can go and have amazing adventures and do things that they thought they weren't brave enough to do Mm. um, in the bodies that they have with the experiences and life experiences that they've had. Um, and I'm hoping that, um, that that documentary will help to sort of just continue to spur on a, mo- a movement uh, of people understanding um, that they can, in fact, do the things that they're passionate about, whatever that may be. Mm. And that, that doesn't have to be out on an ultra or out on a trail mm. event. It, it can really be anything. I think it's just, it's just an example of, of what you can do if you change your thinking away from um, – how you might act based on other people's perceptions of you mm-hmm. and instead ignoring all that and following your passion now. Because it's quite extraordinary when you were talking there, I was thinking, you know, the majority of people in the world must be people that probably think that they can't do this sort of thing. So how come they're in the minority of <laughs> of the, of the you know, who, the thought police? You know, d- does that make sense? Like, because not... There's so few ultra elite sports people in in any sport, mm. and it just strikes me as absolutely bizarre. And 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 I'm not saying it isn't true because I absolutely 100% know it is. It just how have we got to the stage where the people that should be doing it are the ones that are going? Oh, I couldn't possibly. Does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's interesting, um, and I think part of the the thought process is that. Um, people think that there's an order in which they must do things Mm. uh, and you have to, uh, you know, you can't do it till you're ready and I'm not quite sure when ready is but ready appears to be at the point in your life when you've got the perfect body, the perfect fitness, the perfect amount of time, the perfect amount of money, that's when you can do these things and I'm not sure when that is. (laughs) I'm not sure if that, that, 
that actually exists or whether it's it's just a myth. Um, and so so there's a tendency to put it off because it's not the right time. Mm. But but I suppose the perspective I come from is well maybe it is the right time, um, and maybe it's just about choosing the thing that you want and working out a plan to achieve the goal for the thing that you want. I mean, I, I've had some uh, some people contact me and say, you know, I, I really want to run a marathon, but, you know, I've been told that I've, I've been doing um, I've been doing 10Ks for the last, you know, three years and I've been told, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be going for a marathon. I should spend another couple of years working my way up to the half marathon mm. uh, and then I can think about moving up to the marathon and normally in there somewhere is thrown, oh, and I have to lose X number of pounds mm. Uh, before I can think about doing the marathon, and, and I'm just I'm just wondering whether these thought processes are actually are actually useful, um, or or whether these are all constraining us from actually achieving mm. the goals that we want to achieve. I mean, it, it, it's probably not the case that if you've never done a marathon that you would be trying to sign up for the you know the Boston Marathon <laughs> that's got a, yes. a you know a, a time a, yes, a time that you need for entry yeah. a qualification. But there's no reason why you couldn't consider the Honolulu Marathon that has no time limit and welcomes everybody of every speed. Or you can pick a trail marathon yeah. um, which which have generous finishing times. Um, and so one of the other projects that I'm uh, working on at the moment uh, is I'm trying to develop a website um, that looks at really beautiful um, events around the mm. world um, that, that have kind of stunning locations but that have generous cut-off times mm. that are suitable for people who want to extend themselves um, because there's no point going for something that you're not going to make yeah. a cut-off um, and there's plenty of events where you can make a cut-off. And so you can go and do the event and even if you train really hard and you, you think you can do it in – four and a half hours, six hours, seven hours, whatever it is that's your goal, um, that you're still not going to get cut off yeah. even if you, you don't make that and you can enjoy enjoy the experience that you're having. Um, so that's, that's one of the things because I find that um, what most people don't realise is that multi-day trail ultras, these ones we've been talking about with the marathon mm. a day, um, as you know, have very generous yeah. cut-off times. Um, the one I'm doing in New Zealand uh, has a 14-hour cutoff for each day. Oh, amazing! Um, so they're they're very much they're very much achievable cutoff times, um, provided that you're fit enough to to be able to do the distance. Mm. Again, they're not something you sign up and no, just, just walk off the street and go and do them. Um, but they're most most achievable for all normal people who put in at least six months training. Yeah. Um, but people don't realise that because the advertising for events always has these amazing athletic looking mm. people who are usually also young and male yeah. um, who are representing you know running down through the event and people think if they don't look like that yeah. that they can't do them um, and it's just not true and whether that's you know quite a lot of the formats uh, whether that's racing the planet uh, marathon de Saab, uh, the rat race series mm. um, all of those are very much welcoming of people of all standards, mm. um, provided that you've put in the work to be able to do the distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to keep yourself safe. You can't be risking yourself and and other people to to save you. No, completely. And and you know, I've been put off doing things. The other thing I've been put off is because the field is really small, and because I'm a sort of three quarters to the middle, uh, three quarters to the back of the pack kind of person. I think well, they'll they'll just be me. It'll just be me. <laughs> and so that I think, you know, it's really important in, in, in those as well to be quite 
obviously, if it is that kind of event, because some events do want just the fast, speedy people. But as you say, there are so many amazing adventures to be had. You know, you put in the work and you go and you have the adventure and it's a very different, the very first person I interviewed on my podcast was Elizabeth Barnes, um, as you know, ultra goddess who has gone on to be, you know, it's just amazing. And she told me in the interview, she was saying, do you know, one day I'd just really like to, when I'm, you know, when people can't remember who I am, I'm just going to go and hang out three quarters of the way back or back of the pack. And I was like, you totally should. It's just brilliant fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm really sorry though, because no one's ever going to forget who you are. <laughs> yeah, I don't, think there, much, like, I don't think there's much chance. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so that sounds amazing. I would love that. I can't wait to see that website because that's exactly the sort of thing I look for because I think, great, an adventure. I need to be fit, but I do not have to be Elizabeth Barnes to, to be there. Yeah, and I think that if we can if we can do that work and if I'm happy to do that work for people to to help them understand what their options are. I mean, when I started researching, you know, you can be on frozen lakes, in deserts, mm. in forests, um, running with giraffes in Kenya. Mm. There are so many options um, that welcome uh, people of all standards. Um, so the adventures are out there. We then yeah. just need to get our minds in the right place to believe that we can. Um, and it's that that self belief uh, that is really the challenging part. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and I, and I think from all the people I've interviewed and from my own experience, unfortunately, you have to take that big scary leap before any time before the self belief comes. <laughs> there has to be a tiny, tiny, tiny inkling somewhere that you could possibly do it. Like you were saying about your the women in your team, yes. but mostly you have to just be absolutely terrified and think well I'm just going to go for it yeah that's right you do and um and for some of us we're happy to take that step Mm. um like I did of launching into the the unknown with (laughs) literally nobody else there um for other people I understand that it is scary to do that by Mm. yourself um and that's why I think if we can uh if we can use the power of the internet for for good purposes and I, I really do believe in the value of the internet to draw together people to make supportive communities. You know, I, I, don't think, I don't think the internet is all bad. I think it provides options for people who live in different places to connect with other like-minded people and encourage mm. each other. Um, and one of the fantastic things uh, about trail community that I absolutely love is now that I've been uh, attending events uh, in various places around the world for five or six years, mm. it's pretty hard for me to go to an event without running into somebody I already know. Mm. Um, and you also find out about other events from other people and people say, oh, I found this. It looks amazing. Yeah. Um, do you want to go do it together? Um, <laughs> and, and that's and that's the, the sense of community and adventure that I'm seeing with uh, these ladies from the Simpson Desert Ultra team um, already after the weekend is saying, oh, what's next? What, what can we find? What can we do? Um, and so I think once you've found the group of people that support you in, in whatever your, your sense of adventure is, whatever your passion is, yes. it just makes it so much, so much easier than when you're embarking on your own. It's, it's, it is tough on your own. It absolutely is. But I think uh, sometimes we need to look beyond our immediate group of like physical friends and family mm-hmm. who might not have the same passion or might be caught up in some of the societal stereotypes of of what yeah. 
is and is not the right thing to do as a as a, as a woman who's a, a mother or whatever else yeah. um, and and look towards people who are supportive in in a wider sort of community it's quite uh, yes you're absolutely right because I am a member of a um, an amazing group called the Badass Mother Runners Club, which uh, and I interviewed their founder Bev on the on the podcast as well, and it's exactly that is the most warm and welcoming corner of Facebook. Seriously, you know, and there's some super fast ultra runners, there's some just mums who've just had babies, those that are coming back, you know, fighting depression, and you know, just oh, it's just amazing. It's so amazing, and you know, some people know each other, most of us don't. And it's everything from, woo, got my, my personal best to, I can't get out the door today. Somebody give me a kick up the backside. And we're all like, mm-hmm. go get your shoes on, just walk, do something. <laughs> and so, no, I completely agree. It is it's such a beautiful thing. And I think especially I love it when it's women encouraging other women as well. It's such a, and that in itself fights the stereotypes of oh, women can't be good and kind to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do uh, it's interesting. I think um uh, I never intended for this to be only about women. Mm. Um for me it was about about people finding their passion and doing things, but mm. I think it is the case that we draw to us people who are like us. Yeah. Um so so I do acknowledge that the majority of people with whom my my story or my message resonates mm. are in fact other middle-aged women who might also feel um, as, as though they have lost a bit of their identity and yeah. a bit of their, their passion um, and, are, and are looking for some encouragement to do what deep down they know they really do want to do um, but just need perhaps a little bit of help getting across that line. Yeah, I'm wondering actually as you say that because, you know, I heard you being interviewed on Jay's podcast, 28, 28 Summers, and yes. he's just launched this Everyday Adventurer series with, you know, just asking people that are just doing something really scary for the first time to come and be, you know, sort of on the podcast every so often to update everyone on how they're getting on and stuff. Yes. And he cannot find men to do it. He can't find men. He's got these, I think, six or seven incredible women, but he said, I just can't get men. And I'm wondering whether there's yet another sub sort of part of the societal expectations that men shouldn't have to ask for help or be supported in such a group when they don't feel like they're the norm either. You know, it's almost now easier for women to say, yeah, I'm in that category. I'm quite happy to be public in that I'm not the right size or shape or age or whatever, but maybe men still struggle with that. Yes, and I and I'm obviously not, you know, as, in, as I'm I'm not a man. It's hard. It's hard to mm. comment. I mean, I know that certainly in my in my professional career space, um, it's much easier for women to say, actually, I'm struggling to work mm. out how to fit in uh, being a good parent. And working a professional job, uh, mm. and my male colleagues, uh, you know, have said to me, "Well, actually, I feel exactly that same way as well, but I don't feel like I have societal permission to say so. Um, yeah. I, I don't feel like I can say, you know, I, I feel like I'm struggling as a dad because I'm not spending enough time with my kids. Mm. Um, so I, I know that in that space, it's it's very true that there are those societal expectations of what it is to be a man um, yeah. that prevent them from being really honest about the challenges that they're having. Um, and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that 
if that um, is the is the case across their life rather than just in yeah. that career space. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, but that's a talk for a whole other time. <laughs> um, so we're coming towards the end and it has been absolutely amazing. I've got uh, three things I want to ask you. Uh, obviously, you are just getting started on this amazing journey of not only your own personal discovery and pushing boundaries, but also on this mission to help other people. But as and when you have are wrapping up, you know, we're talking decades away. What do you hope will have been your legacy? I think what I'd like to see is that when I'm when I'm still out doing those trail events when I'm 70, which is my my goal, uh, is to still mm. be out there in another 20, 25 years' time, is to see a wider range of people, um, mm. to see people who are the full range of uh, gender, age, body type, nationality, background, um, mm. who are out there exploring their passion and for that to be normal. I, I want people mm. to be able to be out there and people not to say, oh, wow, look at them. They're so amazing because they're out there in their normal yeah. body doing their, doing their things. <laughs> yeah. it, 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 will, yeah. it will have lost that edge. That, that is what I'd like to see. And for people to, to feel like that they, that they can do those things uh, without being judged and without being seen to be some kind of freak. <laughs> Yeah. And, and without the headlines of first this to do that, first woman, first woman of color, first, you know, th that it's just, it's a thing. It's normal. Yes. That, that's what I'd love to see, that to just take that pressure off people, to just be yeah. able to do whatever it is that they're passionate about without that being uh, either judged negatively or thought to be strange. Exactly. Oh, amazing. And think how much better it will be for general well-being and, and mental health it would be absolutely extraordinary well I think it's the most brilliant mission I love it um, I want to know where we can follow you how can we find out more about what you're up to so uh, the best place at the moment is my Instagram which is uh, mm -hmm. Wallace. Um, and my uh, website, which is still under development at the moment and but will continue to improve and provide uh, more opportunities is findyouradventure.online. Okay. And now you have the re a really great challenge, Katie, for me, which, well, I think you have <laughs> sort of half in the know, half not in the know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this bit. Um, so I love the opportunity to give you a challenge, but I don't think you'll mm. be surprised by the theme of my challenge, given what we've been talking mm. about today. Um, so my challenge to you is I'd like you to try one thing that you have never done because you were worried about how you'd be perceived. Mm. Is there anything that comes to mind that would fulfill that category? Well, you did ask me that an uh, email and, and skateboarding is what came to mind. Oh, I actually. love that. <laughs> because, and I don't necessarily mean like dropping into a bowl in the park type thing, because I'm a little bit scared of hurting myself, but more just the kind of like, you know, you see these amazing people like cruising down Santa Monica Boulevard or whatever like I don't really actually know what I'm talking about on their longboards <laughs> do you know that looking all sort of cool and hippie yeah. and, and fabulous and, and I've always thought oh, yeah, well yes young yes exactly that's it and floaty and thin but you know <laughs> uh, but so I was thinking 
and and it funny it's funny you should have said that because it is the very first thing that came into my head and then I started fishing around and thinking no but maybe and then I thought no that was the first thing that came into your head you've always wanted to like be one of those little kind of cool kids <laughs> wearing sneakers and just like like with my he- headphones on so that's what I'm going to do fantastic so how does this work how do I know when you've uh, when you've completed your challenge well, um, normally I just post it on Tinternet, but on Instagram, but I'm, I'm the very specific, because I live on the side of a mountain, this dream is not quite as easy as one might hope for. Right. But I'm about to go away to Spain for two weeks. Woohoo, I'm going in an actual airplane to another country. <laughs> and uh, I, my husband has a longboard out there. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it and then I'm going to post a video and tag you. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. And I'm going to go and wear like my coolest, hippiest, young, cool kid outfit and just like be like a, yeah. Yeah. And I think (laughs) like a longboarder, like a middle-aged mom longboarding. (laughs) I think the thing about these challenges is that um, so much of what we've spoken about is about self-belief and about yeah. about doing things when when you think that you can't. And I think the more that we challenge ourselves to do things where we're a little bit worried that we might look silly, um, the mm. easier it gets. There is no question in my mind. Yeah. No, I love it. I do love it because it is something I've always wanted to try. And exactly as you say, have thought, oh, no, God, my kids will be really embarrassed. But yeah, well, that's my job. So I'm going to just do it. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's very late where you are. um, And I'm so, so grateful. Your story is phenomenal. I'm so envious of all your amazing uh, desert challenges at the moment because we're a little bit uh, housebound for the time being with no deserts in sight. But Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.